are in uh, the second week of a series that we have entitled, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And uh, the, the, the remaining weeks of this series, this week and the remaining two, uh, we have based off of a series that was uh, entitled the same way, done by a number of different churches. Craig Rochelle did this, Andy Stanley did this, others did this. And uh, what, what that means is basically if you hear something that's really profound, something that's very encouraging, something that really helps you along in your journey, it just means that we probably stole that from somebody else. Uh, but hopefully it will be good for you all the same. And what we are doing in this series is we're just kind of taking a step back, looking at what is going on in our world, and going, hey, if, if in the midst of all of this, you're struggling to make sense of God, if at this point in your life or at some other point in your life, you found God to, to feel like he's inattentive or uncooperative or late, what do you do? What, what do you do so as to hold on to faith? What do you do so, so as to still live in a way that honors God? What do you do so that you don't walk away from faith, but you still hang on to God, even though you can't seem to make sense of him in the midst of all of it? Because if ever there were times where we might struggle to make sense of God, we're living in them right now. Amen? I mean, just the things that are going on in our world today, it's, it's just harder and harder not to struggle and harder and harder not to be impacted by it directly. Chances are all of us know someone or are someone who is sick. Chances are all of us know someone or are directly connected to someone who's lost a loved one. Chances are all of us know someone or are someone who's been impacted at work. Chances are all of us are someone or know someone who's begun to struggle emotionally as a result of the, the, the stay-at-home order and the social isolation. Just more and more as this continues to unfold, it is harder and harder not to be impacted by it personally, not to struggle with it, not to have these circumstances begin to rattle us. And, and it's not just the circumstances that we will struggle with in times like these. Sometimes the, the, the way people are interacting and, and responding to all of this will cause us to struggle. Sometimes as, as we find ourselves struggling, people don't help. Like in the midst of this, you have people who are teaching things like, you know, if you just had more faith, if you just believed and didn't doubt, then God would come through for you. And that kind of stuff will just make you feel so small. It'll make you question your own faith. Or you have other people who will teach things like, you know, if, if, you, just, if you just dealt with the issues... If you just took care of your sin, then, then, then God would come through for you then. If you cleaned your life up, God would be there. And that kind of stuff will make you feel guilty and make you, you, know, you know, question everything you do. Sometimes the dribble that people out there are teaching make this more difficult. Or sometimes just the, the way people are responding in the midst of this will make this all more difficult. Like you're, you're at home and you're, you're looking at your neighbors down the street and they're not even church people. They're not even people who are trying to follow God and yet everybody's healthy and they're still working and they're still getting along with each other. And you're like, well, what, what, what in the world? Like I'm trying to follow Jesus. 
and we're struggling with health and people who I know and love are, are doing poorly and, and things are not going the way they're supposed to work and we're starting to get stir crazy and we're kind of at each other's throats in this and like how come it's working out for them and not for me? Or sometimes like even your Christian friends will make this more difficult. Like this whole thing starts and your, your friend from church is posting on Facebook, you know, hey, you know, like I don't know what I'm going to do. I got the kids at home and, and I've never done any of this homeschooling stuff. Pray for me. This is going to be really hard. And now they're posting on Facebook about how their third graders work in the quadratic equation and they don't even know if they're going to send them back to school next, you know, September. And, and, and they just love the time they're spending together. And you're looking at what's going on in your home and what they're posting on Facebook. And you're like, you know what? Why don't you just shut up over there, right? I don't need this. You know, God's answering your math prayers and I got big problems and he's not even helping me out. Sometimes this is hard. The circumstances make it hard. The people make it hard. It's difficult. And in the midst of the difficult, in the midst of the hard, we can find ourselves in this place where God just, he seems hard to figure out. Like, what is he doing? Why isn't he paying attention? Why isn't he helping where I'm asking him to help? When is he going to show up? And if you've ever been there, or if you're finding yourself more and more there now, here's, here's the deal. There are no simple answers to the questions you're struggling with. There aren't pat Sunday school answers that are going to make this all go away. However, I really believe there are principles. Principles that can help us in times like these. And so in each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life story of somebody from the New Testament. Somebody for whom God seemed to be inattentive or uncooperative or late. And we're going to look at their story and we're going to draw principles from out of their stories then that can help us in the midst of our stories now. So let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into our first story. Father, just as, as we begin today, um, God, please meet us again with everything that's happened in the last week. There's just more going on. There, there are more struggles. There's more pain than, than we can possibly cover exhaustively. Father, I want to pray for the Renoso family as they're mourning the loss of Fiddle's dad. God, please help them. Father, we pray for Evelyn Cicero as, as Marco passed this week. And she's in quarantine and the only contact she can have with people is the folks who are dropping food off at her door or the people who might call her on the phone. And as she's mourning the loss of her husband, as her children are mourning the loss of the man who was a father to them, God, please help them. Please comfort them. Fathers, we are just in crazy, difficult times. Please meet us. Please help us. And for those of us who are struggling in these times, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. 
as we look at the, 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 the lives of people from the New Testament who are struggling themselves. Help us to see and hear from you in the midst of this. A message, a hope, a message that, that gives us some kind of direction, something tangible we can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So life story from the Bible that we're going to look at today is a story of John the Baptist. And to really, to, to fully understand and appreciate John's story, you got to back up a little bit and start with somebody else's story. You have to start with a story, uh, and really a family story, of the guy named Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was at one time the king of the Jews. He was not Jewish himself. He was appointed to rule in Israel over the Jews by the Romans. But, but Herod the Great, uh, he ruled longer than almost any of his predecessors, ruled longer than almost anybody that came after him when, when, during that point in time in history. And the way that Herod did that is Herod was a bad man. I mean, Herod was just brutal. And anytime somebody came along who Herod thought, mm, this person might threaten my power, this person might like take over, lead some kind of rebellion, lead some kind of coup, just, just threaten me in any way, Herod dealt with it by simply killing that person. That was just his solution. It was a one-size-fits-all kind of solution. You're a threat, you're dead. So like Herod had six different wives, right? Killed off two of them. Herod had a host of sons and daughters, murdered three of his own boys. Herod even one time had one of his mothers-in-law killed, which earlier this week I was talking to my friend Phil, and he's like, you know, Mike, depending on your mother-in-law, that's more or less sinister. And I'm like, whatever, Halterman. I, I, I see what you're saying, but whatever, you know? So, I mean, just, I mean, Herod was so bad. Herod, when, when he realized he was sick and dying, he had leading citizens in Jerusalem, you know, like, you know, gathered together, had them put into prison, rounded them up, put them into prison, and then he gave these orders. He said, okay, on the day I die, you execute these people. It was his way of ensuring there would be mourning rather than rejoicing in Jerusalem when he died. Messed up man, but he was a bad man who maintained power by being a bad man. Now eventually, Herod dies. And when he does, the Romans kind of divide his kingdom up. So you have his son, Herod Archelaus, who gets Judea and Samaria. And then you have his other son, Herod Antipas, who gets Galilee. Now, he has a third son, Herod Philip, and Herod Philip, he doesn't get any political power, but he does get a bunch of money from his dad, all right? Now, no good drama would be complete without, without what? A love triangle. That's right, Johannes, right? And so enter in Herodias, Herod the Great's grandniece, and what she does is she marries Herod Philip, and the two of them, they have a daughter named Salome, all right? So everybody with me so far? Good, because the plot's about to thicken. All right, so sometime after this marriage, sometime after the birth of this little girl, there's a little bit of a family reunion. Herod um, Philip and Herod Antipas, they get together. You know, Antipas kind of goes over to Philip's place, hang out for a little while, spend some time with his brother, and somehow he gets alone with Herodias, Philip's wife, and he confesses something to her. Basically says, Herodias, I, I don't know how this happened, but baby, I love you. 
And Herodias is like, you know what? That's okay, because sugar, I love you too. And so the two of them run off, and they take Salome with them. And, and, Her- and Herodias, she, she, di- she divorces Philip. She marries Antipas, and the two of them move into his palace there in Galilee, and they start this new life together. Now, you're like, what does this soap opera have to do with anything? Again, just stick with me because we're going to bring this around full circle back to John the Baptist. When all of this is going on, John the Baptist, who happens to be Jesus' cousin, who happens to be a prophet, he comes onto the scene in Galilee. Now, John is one of these wild-eyed, you know, crazy-haired kind of prophets. He's, he, he wears this throwback prophet's uniform. He, he lives in the wilderness. He eats bugs, and he preaches a classic prophet's message, you know, like hardcore prophetic message. You can you boil John's message down to just three words. Here they are. Knock it off. Like, whatever you're doing wrong, whatever sin you're engaged in, wherever you're out of kilter, knock it off. Fly straight. Repent. And really, John's message of repentance, it was, it was all about trying to get people ready for the Messiah. To get people and their hearts ready for the, the coming of, of the deliverer of Israel. And John, John, again, he's just this classic kind of prophet. He's going to get out there. He's going to preach this message. And he, he doesn't care if you like it. He doesn't care if you don't. He doesn't care who you are. He's going to preach his message. So right about the time John is hitting the scene in Galilee, you've got Herod and Herodias hitting the scene in Galilee. And John hears about how Herodias has divorced her husband Philip and taken her kid, and now married her, her husband's brother Antipas. And John is hearing all this, and like all of this is against the Old Testament law. And John isn't feeling it. And because John is no respecter of persons, he has the audacity to publicly preach against Herodias and Herod. And Herodias, she hates John's guts for it. Hates him. And she tells her husband, you need to get this guy off the streets. I want him dead. And so that's kind of where we're going to pick John's story up in the New Testament. And we're going to look at a couple different biographies of Jesus' life, draw from them to kind of give us a, a harmony of the Gospels kind of approach here to the life of John. But basically, here's how Mark summarizes what we've been talking about so far. Mark says, For Herod himself, and this is Herod Antipas, Herod himself had been given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put into prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, for Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be righteous and a holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, but he liked to listen to him. So apparently, you know, it, kind of, it would go like this. Antipas would get bored. There's no Disney Plus to, you know, lives to, 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 to stream. There's, there's no Mandalorian to, you know, to binge on. And so, you know, Herod's left to, you know, bring John up from prison. 
And he'd bring John up from prison. He'd be like, okay, preacher man, tell me something good. John would preach one of his wild-eyed, crazy sermons about how Messiah's come, about how you need to repent. And he'd be like, hey, you're living in adultery in here. He'd be like, ah, I know that one already. Well, what else you got? And, and John would just go on and he'd preach his stuff. And as John would preach, it'd get to Herod. Like he knew John's from God. And he knew he had no right locking John up. And he knew John doesn't deserve to die. But, but Herod Antipas also knew Herodias hates John's guts. And she wants him dead. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So like John presents this complicated equation for Herod. But, but when you think about it, for John, John being in prison... That's kind of a complicated equation for John, too. I mean, here's John. God calls John to be a prophet. So John's a prophet, like classic prophet. And God, God asks John to get people ready for the Messiah. John says yes to that request. You know, John, John, John is like doing everything he can to, to, to call people to repentance. Th think about this. At the height of John's ministry, the religious leaders come to John and they ask John, they're like, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the deliverer of Israel? Are you the leader we've been waiting for for hundreds of years now? Like what kind of temptation would that question have presented to John? Huh, am I the Messiah? No, he tells him, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, no, I'm just getting people ready for the Messiah. In fact, when the Messiah comes, I'm not going to be worthy to untie his shoes. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, what is John to do? J John points people to Jesus. He's like, that's the guy I've been talking about. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then when John's disciples leave John to go and follow Jesus, John doesn't get mad. Doesn't try and stop them. He encourages them to do it. And when, and when Jesus' ministry begins to blossom and grow, and it does so at the expense of John's ministry, causing it to shrink and atrophy, what, what does John say? He must increase. I must decrease. John does everything he's asked to do. John does everything right. And yet where does John wind up? John winds up in prison and he rots there. You see, sometimes in life you can do everything right and still have it turn out wrong. Sometimes in life you can do everything right and still have it turn out all wrong. Now, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but it should be. Because here, here's part of what that means. It means that when things go wrong in your life, that isn't necessarily a reflection on your faith, and it isn't necessarily a reflection on your faithfulness. 
John, John had all the faith in the world. He believed in who Jesus was. John was the most faithful guy you could meet. He did everything he was asked to do. And still, everything goes wrong for John. If you're struggling right now, if you've ever been at a point in life where it just nothing seems to be going right, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your faith in God. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with how faithful you are to him. Because sometimes in life, you can do everything right and still have it all go wrong. So John's in prison. And, and the disciples that are left, they come and they visit John in prison. And they're talking to John about what's going on in prison. Eventually, they get on the topic of Jesus, and they start telling John about how Jesus is doing things like they've only ever read about. And they start telling John, Jesus is teaching stuff like they've never heard before. And as John is listening to this, John begins to feel like, man, Jesus is doing all kinds of stuff for other people. He's not doing anything for me. And John isn't feeling the love. And so at some point, he stops his disciples and he's like, hey, hey can, can you guys do me a favor? Can, can, you, can you get a message to Jesus? Can you ask Jesus something for me? And they're like, sure, John, you're a boy. What, what, what do you, you want to know? What do you want us to ask him? And John says to them, would you go to Jesus and ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Here, here's John, the guy who has spent his career getting, ready pe getting people ready for Jesus. Here is John, the, the, the guy who, who, who pointed people to Jesus, who let his own disciples go to Jesus, who let his own ministry atrophy for Jesus' sake. And now here is John who he's reached a point now that he's in prison where he wants his disciples to go and ask Jesus, look, are you really the one? Or did we get this wrong and we should be looking for somebody besides you? Now, what, what I'm going to share with you next, it's not written down for us. But, but I suspect when John asked his disciples to ask that question of Jesus, they, they might have had a conversation that, that, that went something like this. Okay, John, you, you, you really want us to ask Jesus that? You, you're the guy who told us he's the guy. Yeah, I, I know I'm just, I'm just, I need some assurance right now. Okay, John, look, you, you, you know, you're our boy. We'll ask the question. But John, do you realize we're probably going to have to interrupt a miracle or something to ask that question? John, John, we, we, we're going to have to interrupt the teaching like nobody's ever heard before to ask that question. John, again, you're our boy. We'll ask it. But you, you, John, do you realize how embarrassing it's going to be to ask Jesus that question, the way he's tearing it up there, tearing it up out there the way he is right now? I know. I just, I need, I need something. I need a word. I need a shout out. I need some kind of insurance. Can, can you just ask him, are you the Messiah we're expecting? Or should we be looking for somebody else right now? 
See, what's happening emotionally inside of John in, in this moment? I would argue this is something we're all susceptible to. Every one of us. See, we're all susceptible to letting our circumstances or our environment impact how we relate to or think about God. We can all do this. We are all susceptible to letting our circumstances or our environment impact, sometimes even dictate how we think about or how we relate to God. For, for example, life's going good, right? Like, like me and mine, we're all healthy and, and, and I'm still working and I'm still you know, 100% capacity on salary and, and we're all getting along in the house there and, and I'm feeling good and I'm doing well emotionally and, and then just things are going well. It's just all clicking. And in times like that, I'm like, oh, God is so good. He's just so good to me. And then things change. And and. Things start going for me kind of like they're going for John. Somebody I know or love gets sick. Maybe I get sick. Or somebody I know and love, we lose them. Or things at work get squirrely. Or just a job goes away altogether. We're ready to choke each other out at home. Or I'm struggling with depression or I'm struggling with anxiety. And all of a sudden it's like, man... What are you doing, God? Are you, are you listening? I'm praying. You're not, you're not answering my prayers. Are you paying attention up there? When are you going to help me down here? All of a sudden, we begin to struggle. What, what, what's changed? It's our circumstances, our environment. Our circumstances and our environment change and all of a sudden, how we think about and relate to God, it begins to change. Like John, we need a shout out. We need some help. Some kind of assurance. We struggle. And before we go back to John and his story, let me, let me push just a little bit harder on this. And where we're going to go next, this is going to be difficult for some of us to hear. But it's important that we hear and understand this because there's truth to this. There is something self-focused happening inside of me when I begin to lose faith when life gets difficult. Again, before, before you turn me off, before you, 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 you leave the room, just hear me out on this because this is, I, again, this is hard to hear, but there's so much truth to this and we need to understand this. There is something self-focused going on inside of me when I begin to lose faith in God because life has gotten difficult. Again, let me, let me try and illustrate this. So like, I'll hear about something difficult that's happened. You know, I'll hear about the, the tornadoes that ripped through Mississippi last weekend. I'll hear about someone who's lost a loved one. I'll hear about someone who's critically ill. I'll hear about somebody who's struggling at work. I'll hear about somebody who's struggling emotionally or relationally or spiritually. And when I hear that, I, you know, I'll say things like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. How can I pray? How can I help? And, and, and I'll do that. 
I'll pray for them. I'll send money. I'll try and help. But, but here's, here's the thing. What they're going through, what they are going through, that doesn't shatter my faith. See, when you're going through something, I'll care, I'll pray, I'll try and help. But that doesn't, that doesn't rattle my faith to the core of my being. But when I go through something really difficult, I begin to doubt. Again, this is, this is hard to hear, but it's a truth we need to be aware of in ourselves. I lose faith in God when God is inattentive to my happiness, not to yours. I tend to lose faith in God when God is inattentive to my happiness, not yours. When you're going through something difficult, I care. I pray. I help but I don't go home and lose my faith over that. But when I'm going through something really difficult, I begin to struggle and I begin to doubt. There's something self-focused happening inside of me when I lose my faith in God when things become difficult. Now, why do we do that? Why do we do that? I think in part it's because pain can shrink us down to the size of us. Pain, pain can, can shrink us down to the size of ourselves, down to the size of, of, of where we're at. Pain can take us to this place where we can't see anything besides ourselves, where we can't be anything but self-focused. I, I think in part that that's what we're seeing happen to John here. John, at one point in time, John, John had faith. John was faithful. Then John gets arrested and he gets put into prison. And the pain begins to bear down on top of John in his life. And John is in incredible pain. And in the midst of that pain, John is struggling to see beyond his pain. He is struggling to see beyond his prison cell. He can't see beyond himself. And in that pain, in that self-focused state, John begins to doubt. And, and I think that's part of what makes Jesus' response to John's question so relevant to John and to you and to me. Now, be, before I tell you what Jesus does say to John, let me, let me tell you what Jesus doesn't say to John. Because John's disciples show up, right? And they, they find Jesus and they're all like, hey, Jesus. Oh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt the miracle. He'll, he'll finish that up in a minute. But as long as we got your attention. J Jesus, you remember John, right? Your cousin. Okay, you, you know he's in prison, yes? Okay, hey, listen. John asked us to come and ask you this question. And it's kind of embarrassing, but we're, we're at it. And he's our boy, so we told him we'd ask. So listen, Jesus, are you the Messiah we should be expecting, that we've been expecting or should we look for somebody else? Now, when they ask that question, Jesus does not respond with, well, what do you mean am I the Messiah? Of course I'm the Messiah. How could you ask that? He, he doesn't go there. Je Jesus does not, all, he also doesn't say to them, come here guys, circle up, circle up. Okay, tell John, tonight we're going to 
bust him out. And we're going to write, ha, 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 catch me if you can hear it, all over the prison walls. No, he, he doesn't go there either. Instead, what Jesus does is he says to them, and he says to you, and he says to me, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. Because right now, John can't see past his pain. Right now, John can't see past his prison walls. So you need to go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. Go back and tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and those who have leprosy are cured and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. Tell, tell John what God is still doing outside of his prison. And as John's disciples are writing all this down and they're getting ready to leave, Jesus says to them, oh yeah, one more thing. This is, this is the most important part of all. Tell John, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What, Jesus? This is it. This is the most important part. Tell him, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble, who doesn't trip up, who doesn't fall away because of me. All right, wait a minute, Jesus. I, I, like, are you saying you might do something, you might not do something knowing that, that, that it could cause somebody to lose faith in you? Yeah, so, so make sure you tell them that. Make sure, make sure you tell them, don't, don't, don't fall away. Hold on, hold on. Blessed is anyone who doesn't fall away because of what I've done or what I haven't done. Okay, wait a minute, you, 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 you know John's in prison, uh-huh. You, you know John is struggling, like he's going to lose his faith right now, uh-huh. And you're not going to, you, you, you might, like, just leave him there. That's right. Okay, wait a minute. J Jesus, is it because, like, are you mad at John? Like, did John do something to you guys when you were kids at a family reunion or something, and then, like, this is your way of getting John back? No, no. I love John. In fact, when it comes to John, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. I think John is the best person who's been born to this point in history. But you're going to leave him in prison. Yeah, so make sure you tell him, hang in there. Don't stumble. Don't fall away. Don't lose your faith just because I haven't bailed you out. Now, he, here's another hard truth from John. John's going to be in prison no matter how much faith John has. John is going to be in prison no matter how faithful John is. John's going to be in prison because John being in prison was part of what God was doing. And Jesus knew that, that, that it was hard for John 
to be in prison and to maintain his faith. When Jesus had the power to get John out and wasn't going to exercise it that way. Now, even though that does not sound like good news for you and me, again, I, I would argue that it is. And here's why. Part of what that means is this. It means your personal circumstances don't necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Your personal circumstances don't necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Jesus thought John was the greatest person who had been born up to that point in history. And yet John is going to rot in prison anyway. See, look, if you want to understand how God feels about you, don't look to your circumstances. Look to the cross. Your circumstances do not let you know how God feels about you. The cross does. Rather than look to what God has done for you lately, look to what God did for you at Calvary. It's the cross. When, when you were at your worst, when you had made yourself an enemy of God, when you were powerless to fix that, hopeless, God loved you so much that he sent a son to die in your place so that you could be made right with God, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be free. It's the cross. The cross speaks to you about how God feels about you, not your circumstances. Your circumstances don't coincide with how God feels about you. The cross does. So, what do you do with this? Like, if like John, you find yourself in a place where God seems to be inattentive, what do you do? I'd recommend you do the same thing that I think Jesus was encouraging John to do. First thing I'd, I'd recommend you do is this. Look back and remember. Think back to times in your life where the power of God was on display and at, at, at work in your life. Like If you find yourself with a little spare time on your hands these days, Rather than, rather than jumping on Facebook, rather than you know, binging the next show, rather than playing a video game, get alone for a minute and just think back. When are times where God came through in a financial pinch? When's a time when God healed somebody I loved? When's a time where God came through at work, where God got me through that test, where God had delivered me from that sin, where God helped restore that relationship? Take some time to really think about Times in the past where God came through. And then know this. God's power hasn't changed. God hasn't somehow become weak and anemic today. It's, it, it's just that 
God's power isn't on display today the way that you want it to be. Look back and remember and know he is the same God today as he was then. Look back and remember. And then, th then I'd encourage you, look outside. Look outside of yourself and reflect. Because again, in times of pain, it is so easy to shrink down to the size of us, to shrink down to the size of the house that we're, you know, we're quarantined in, to shrink down to the size of ourselves. We need to get outside of ourselves. We need to get, take a step back and get outside of our pain. Get outside of yourself. Find somebody in, in your church home, in your family, in your neighborhood who needs some help. Need somebody to shop for them. When, when the grass starts growing and, and, and you know, if you've got somebody in your neighborhood maybe who's older and they can't cut the grass themselves and they're not allowed to hire somebody to cut the grass for them right now, go down there and cut the grass for them. You, 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 oh, download the bulletin. Help out Life Challenge. Make some PPEs. Get outside of you. I'm telling you right now, the people that I have seen who are the most emotionally and spiritually healthy in the midst of all of this, the people who I have talked to who have the greatest levels of hope in the midst of all of this are the people who are doing this well. The, the team of folks who helped City Covenant Church last week, you know, you know, put together all kinds of things and money so that they can continue to feed people every day in their neighborhood. The people who I watched go out there and shop for folks who can't shop themselves. The, the, the individuals, the family I watched go out there, they got their hands on all kinds of Easter flowers and just delivered them to their neighborhood. It's the folks who are getting outside of themselves. They're able to see God in ways they can't when they're just focused on themselves. Get outside of you and reflect. And then finally, Look to others and listen. Look to others and listen. Th th this one can be hard, but it is so good for us. Who's the person in your life right now who's doing well spiritually? Who's just, th th they are in a good place in their relationship with God. Get with somebody like this, somebody who's sensitive to where you're struggling. Get with them and listen to them about what they are telling you about who God is and about what he's doing and about how they're relating to him. And know this, no, he's the same God for you as he is for them. He is the same God in their victory as he is in your struggle right now. Look to others and listen. John's story, it doesn't end well. In fact, it ends with John dying in prison. And shortly after John's story ends poorly, it would appear that Jesus' story is going to end poorly as well. Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's run through a kangaroo court. He's convicted. He's sentenced to death. And on the cross, it would seem as though God isn't paying attention. That the Father isn't pleased with the Son. 
Fathers just walked away from it all. But to anybody who knows the rest of the story, you know God was anything but unattentive at the cross. The father didn't forget the son at the cross. He didn't stop loving the son at the cross. He wasn't displeased with the son at the cross. Jesus' faith and Jesus' faithfulness, the cross didn't change that. There were no kind of commentary. Jesus' circumstances at the cross didn't dictate how his father felt about him. Your circumstances and mine, they do not dictate, they do not speak to how your father in heaven feels about you. If you're struggling today, please know, please know, no matter how little sense you can make of God in the midst of all of this, he knows you by name. He is watching. And he loves you more than you can imagine. If in the midst of this, you're struggling to make sense of God right now, please know, God has not stopped working in your life. He is watching closely and he's going to work this for good. If you're struggling right now to make sense of God, you're struggling to make sense of this, please know Jesus is saying to you, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So hold on. Don't stumble. Don't fall. Don't let go. Don't walk away. Look back and remember. Look outside of you and reflect. Look to others and listen. Pray with me, church. Father, just as the last week has just been progressively difficult for so many people. As so many of us would say, man, it just doesn't feel like God is paying attention. God, help us, please, to know our circumstances they don't necessarily have to have anything to do with our faith in you they do not speak to whether or not we've been faithful to you God help us to know our circumstances they don't dictate how you feel about us It's the cross. It's Calvary. Where Jesus laid down his life for broken people. To show us how much God loves us. To set us free from sin. To make us right again. That speaks to how much you love us. That speaks 
what you're doing, that speaks to how you feel. God, give us grace, give us strength to know that you're the same God in the hard times as you were in the good times. God, give us courage, something that only heaven can send that gets us outside of ourselves and our pain and that causes us to see you still at work, to be part of you still at work in the life of somebody else who's struggling. God, help us to listen to people who are doing well and to know you're the same God for us as you were for them. Help us to be blessed because we don't fall away because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just as we wrap things up this morning, Kat is going to lead us in worship. Again, church, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. The generosity that has come out from our church has just been overwhelming. The, the, the Compassion Fund is strong and healthy. We're having regular conversations with folks who are struggling with things going on at work and making that available to help them. People's general fund giving has been incredibly strong. Thank you so much for being so faithful and so generous in this time. If you want to give, if you want to continue to be part of the ministry, again, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can give online at 4FCC.org. You can give through the Church Center app. Once that's set up, it is super easy. You can text to give. Simply text an amount to 84321. Follow the prompts. You can give that way. Or you can mail a, ch a check or a money order or cash directly here to the church. And that will get uh, to the counters. And that will, uh, again, help fund ministry. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. I just want to encourage you now just to lift up your heart in song as Kat leads us.